The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Intentional Living with host Kristen Swarczyk. Our program is all about living the life you have always dreamed possible through focused acts of intention. Now, here is your host, Kristen Swarczyk. Hi, welcome everyone. This is Kristen Swarczyk with Intentional Living, and I am so excited and honored to be joined today by my guest, Katherine Woodward Thomas. She is the author of the newly released book, Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After, and of the national best-selling calling, bestseller, sorry, Calling in the One, Seven Weeks to Attract the Love of Your Life. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has taught hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world to have happier, healthier relationships. And it is true joy to have you here with us today, Catherine. Thank you so much. It's a joy for me to be with you, too. Thank you. You're welcome. I know in my personal divorce, this book um, was a lifesaver for me. So, you know, I'm really excited to be able to share with our listeners today all of the information that I was able to glean and ask you some some questions and um, share your thoughts, you know, and, and things that may help people. Divorce is such a difficult situation and you've really helped to empower people through a transformational process. So I'm really excited to share this information with our listeners. Oh, thank you so much. And I think, you know, I mean, look, nobody ever wants to have a hurting heart. And, um, but one of the things that I've really discovered uh, in working with so many people um, really around the calling in the one work to help people to find really healthy, happy, vital relationships or to create that in their lives is that, you know, it's very critical for us to learn how to consciously complete relationships when they do come to an end because that will set us up to have vibrant relationships moving forward. And I always think that a breakup is like a crossroads and Mm-hmm. You're either going to dim down uh, and and kind of, you know, in the aftermath of a broken heart, be reluctant to open your heart again, um, maybe have a heart that's a little bit too bruised uh, easily moving forward, a little bit too defended moving forward, or you're going to break through to a whole new level of um, self-awareness, self, yeah. you know, trust, maturity, capacity to love and be loved. And that's what we want to facilitate is is making sure that the breakup goes well. Almost like I liken a, a broken heart to a broken leg where, you know, none of us would just let time heal a broken leg. Like we wouldn't just let the, our bones just kind of figure out how to fuse back together again, And nor should we do that for a broken heart. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants a broken leg, nobody wants a broken heart, but if you do have that experience, there's a way to set that break that will have your heart come out stronger and healthier and more 
capable of loving and being loved in the aftermath of all that you're learning. So conscious uncoupling is really facilitating that process. And it's also a five-step process to help us live our ideals. Like most of us want an amicable breakup or divorce. Mm -hmm. And yet the neurobiology studies uh, show what's happening in the brain during a breakup and what's happening in the body make it very hard to have that kind of a breakup. And so I take people through this five-step process that really helps them to go from, you know, all of the big emotions of, you know, rage or desire for revenge or um, self-hatred and self-blame, all of those things that are so obsessive thinking that are so normal to a breakup and really take them uh, through a process that ends up uh, where they're really feeling fundamentally well, healthy, happy, and whole. Mm-hmm. That's such a great word to whole. We talk a lot on this show about, you know, going from broken to whole and what that means. And, Please. you know, it's really the awareness and, and observing without any judgment what's going on and, and being, being able to free yourself from that judgment is so powerful because I know with divorce, you know, we're always thinking, well, what's everyone going to think about this, you know, and there's a lot that society says, you know, about everything in our life. But when we can truly act according to what is best for us and, and be willing to go there, to love ourselves enough to know that it's important that we focus on us. I think that's such a hard step. And your book addresses all of this. And, you know, it's yeah. truly powering when we can go there. But it takes a lot of reprogramming. Like you say, our, our brains have been programmed by the ego. And it's it's really hard to, to shift that. Well, and I think what you're saying is so wise. You're pointing to break up shame. And, you know, shame... Um, is different than guilt in that where guilt is something, you know, I genuinely feel bad about something that I did. Shame is the failure to live, is what we feel when we fail to live up to external expectations of us. Mm, and great. so breakup shame is very common because we live in a culture that has kind of the expectation, you know, covertly, that if one, if a, if a relationship ends before one or both people die, that that relationship is a failure. Mm-hmm. And so we're holding ourselves kind of covertly accountable to live the happily ever after story that we were all raised with. And we hold ourselves accountable to that. We hold other people accountable to that. And so when I divorced my husband after... 10 years, mm-hmm. I was fascinated to kind of discover myself grappling with that, even though I know better, because you're talking about being self-authorized and, you know, knowing what living a true path, living an authentic life, what really is the right thing for you and for your family and, you know, and not necessarily being run by those societal expectations. But I had to, you know, step back and really be curious about you know, that, that sense of um, embarrassment, social embarrassment, or, you know, and of course I had a 
reason to be socially embarrassed, too, that was, you know, a little bit more complex is the creative calling and the one we can talk about. That <laughs> but I also know that this is what most people feel at yes, the end of a is. relationship, right? So, so I'm curious about it from that perspective, too. But so I began to research the happily ever after myth to which mm-hmm. we all so tenaciously aspire. And one of the things I discovered is that the myth is about 400 years old. And it actually began in Venice, Italy, at a time when there were two life conditions that gave birth to this, you know, the popularity, like spreading like wildfire in Venice, Italy, which I think is so hysterical because we still think of Venice as the, like, romantic capital of the world, really. Mm -hmm. So it started there um, really when, number one, the lifespan was under 40, and that didn't mean that everybody passed away before the age of 40. It just meant that, you know, uh, that that was the average lifespan. And what was happening in Venice, Italy at the time that brought that lifespan down was the fact that 50% of the children died before they were 16 years old. Oh, my goodness. So in wow. a world where the children only had a 50% survival chance yeah. of getting to adulthood, um, I think it's probably a good idea to keep both parents in the home, right? Yes, <laughs> right. More food and more shelter and a better chance for survival. The other thing that was happening is that at the time, the class system was extremely divided in Venice, Italy. So if you were born poor, mm-hmm. it was you were certain you would never get out of poverty and you would die in poverty. You would live in poverty and you would die in poverty. In fact, there was a law on the books that forbid a noble person to marry a commoner. And if you look at the happily ever after stories, they always include a noble person marrying a commoner. Mm -hmm. They always include upward mobility and the answer to all of suffering in life. And it always happened in some faraway distant land because it couldn't happen in Venice, Italy, right? So even though they had a very um, poor underclass, they were a literate bunch of folks in Venice, Italy at the time. And so when fairy tales were introduced to the culture, they spread like wildfire. And then the French picked up on them a decade later, I mean, a century later, and polished them up. And, you know, the rest is history, and it kind of engulfed our world, as that's the standard for love. But in conscious uncoupling, I say, well, okay, but, you know, we're constantly updating everything in our lives according to new information coming in or our current life conditions. So we update our child-rearing practices, our computer programming, our exercise programming, our diets. We're always revising everything about our lives. Why not our ideals? Of love, because the danger is this. It's not that I'm anti-love or I don't. You know, we're in America anyway. Ninety percent of us are going to make it to the aisle and pledge lifelong devotion to one person. We are the believers in love. I'm the believer of love. I still teach calling in the one. I have thousands of students, so I'm teaching people how to manifest a great relationship. However, this is the downside to, you know, refusing to acknowledge that very few of us in this lifetime are really going to go through life with just one lover who is yeah. a lifelong companion. We're mm-hmm. not, very few of us have that journey now. 
the studies show that the majority of us will have two or three significant relationships in our lifetime, which also means at least one or two significant breakups. But the thing is, is that inside of that collective assumption that we are supposed to have love till death do us part, that we go into shame yeah. at the end of love. And because of that, we've never learned how to break up well. We've never learned how to manage all the things that are happening in our bodies, all the things that's happening in our brains, um, how to get through that process of separating with someone and to do it kindly and well and in a way that doesn't do a lot of damage to ourselves and each other and our children. And so conscious uncoupling is providing the blueprint for exactly how we can do that so that we stop hurting ourselves and each other when and if, if and when we do decide to break up. That is truly beautiful. I love how you explain that. And it's such a complex situation in which, you know, society's rules become so ingrained. And, and like you make us aware, I mean, life changes. But it's it's the fact that unconsciously we live in so many ways. And I think, you know, for myself, it was so interesting. I have three young daughters, all elementary school age. And, you know, I was so focused on them thriving. And I was very conscious of the process. And I read your book and all these things. And the thing I still failed to do was to take the time to recognize what it meant for me. You know, the fact that my identity had changed a little bit. I was not that partner and, and, you know, working together with this one person all the time to parent our children. And it was sort of like an identity crisis and it creeped up on me, you know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we lean inward and, and not so much deal with healing the external breakup, but the one that's inside. I think this is so critical. So there's two kinds of suffering in a breakup. Mm-hmm. One is inevitable and the other is not. The one that's inevitable is that we will always grieve at the end of a loving relationship. That's human. Mm-hmm. So there will always be um, a, a sense of loss or a sense of mourning, a period of mourning. And we will, to some degree, go through those five stages of grieving that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross mentions, which are denial, um, anger, bargaining, um, acceptance, depression, and then acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and to the degree that we are shocked by the breakup is the degree that we will go through those five stages the severity of which we will go through those five stages. So in other words, if you're the one who's leaving the relationships, you will grieve in the relationship, you will grieve on your own timetable, it's a little bit of grief at a time. Okay. Um, you're building identity outside the relationship as a preparation for leaving because it's happening inside for a while. There's a dialogue, I don't think I can stay here, this isn't fulfilling to me, this is, you know, so there's a lot going on. So there's a, a, an adjustment period. And very often when the people who are leaving the relationship get out, they're not going to feel as, you know, all of that grief because they've been grieving already. They might mm-hmm. feel guilty. It's a great point. They might also feel kind of elated to finally be free. The people who are struggling the hardest with the grief are the people who were left and mm-hmm. they didn't see it coming. Or there was a betrayal that was happening and then it came out and it just, you know, broke the relationship up suddenly. 
So, so that's going to be the hardest. But so there's this, this grieving process that's normal for us human beings because we're born to bond and we do bond and we're tender beings and we're relational beings. So we don't just leave people easily. However, there's this other part of suffering that has to do with the meaning that we give the breakup and the meaning about who we are and what's really possible for us in love. And that is the wounding around the identity that yeah. happens in the breakup. And that's what you're speaking to. Yeah, I really and, felt that. Yeah. And, and most of the suffering that we'll really experience or the suffering that doesn't get better with time, and this is where people dim down their hopes for love, um, is when we find that we're repeating old patterns and somehow the breakup validates a, a belief that we had about ourselves when we were young. See, I'm not really good enough. Or see, mm-hmm. everyone always will leave and I will always be alone. Or see, it's not really safe to open up your heart and love. I'm not safe in this world. Or I am not wanted. I've never been wanted. I always end up getting rejection. So each of us has like a story at the level of identity. Yeah, the self-limiting beliefs. We were young. What's that? Those self-limiting beliefs that help shape that identity that we have. Well, you know, and it's the interpretation. so powerful. It's, yes, it's the interpretation of something that happened to us when we were young. And I actually call it in the book, uh, your source fracture wound. It's the original break in your heart. Mm-hmm. And usually a breakup will is such a disappointment that it will kind of put us back into seeing the world through that lens. Yeah, and it happens outside of conscious thought. Yeah, that's so right? true. So we well, start to have this wounding around the level of identity, and particularly because one of the things that happens in a breakup is that we each create stories. Now, those stories might have nothing to do with reality. Yeah, like somebody often they might don't. Think they don't. I mean, people yeah, get make up stories. At the I know, end of and love. I. Yeah, Yeah. we have to take our first break, but I really want to spend some time when we come back on that topic. So if, if you could just hold that thought and we'll be back in a few moments. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Intentional Living with host Kristen Swarczyk. To reach the show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to kristen.swarchek at gmail.com. Now, back to Intentional Living. Welcome back, everyone. It's so good to be here today with Catherine Woodward Thomas. We are talking about her book, Conscious Uncoupling. And right before the break, we started talking about the stories that we tell ourselves. So I really want to jump back into that because it's so important. We define ourselves by these somewhat inaccurate stories that we we tell ourselves based on the self-limiting beliefs and, and our gremlin, all these different things that creep up in our lives. So, Catherine, I want to allow you to offer your thoughts on that as it relates to this book. Well, so I call it your source fracture wound, and it will come up again at the end of love. And it's generally, for each of us, going to be a little bit different you know, and unique to our own situation. But, you know, human beings uh, are kind of meaning-making machines from the time that we were born. And so whatever's going on in our environments, or even in the womb, right? So Mm -hmm. whatever's going on in our environment, um, we're kind of picking it up, and we're making it mean something about ourselves and our relationships with others and how other people feel about us and what's really possible for us in this lifetime. And so a lot of people will form a sense of self that's something like a narrative that goes something like, I am alone, and other people always leave me, and I can never get what I want and need. And then what happens is when we, when we meet someone and we fall in love, we think that person is the one who rescues us from that story. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you know, somebody who we respect and value and love loves and respects and values us and wants to pledge lifelong devotion or wants to choose us for a relationship. And so it, it actually is euphoric because it frees us and heals us from that original story and the wounding of that original story. However, at some point, you know, when the relationship, if the relationship um, continues long enough or, you know, that that, that person begins to, you know, behave in ways that kind of bring up that wounding, and then maybe even the end of the relationship then will kind of validate the original worldview. So the person who is supposed to rescue us from the story ends up re-wounding us in much the same way, and that feels like a terrible, terrible bait-and-switch and a terrible betrayal. And so we're left with the residue of, oh, now I have more evidence for that story, And then the other thing that's happening around identity is that it's very common at the end of a relationship to create um, 
stories about why the relationship is ending. So from a victimized perspective, like all the things that that other person did, I can project horrible things onto the other person. And I can begin to make even a negative bond with them, you know, almost going from soulmate to soul hate. He's a horrible person. He's a sociopath. Uh, He's a narcissist. He's selfish. He's mean. He's critical. You know, all of those, you know, and and, and Mm -hmm. it's just automatic. But what happens when someone's doing that towards us is that because beliefs are actually relational and we form belief in relations with people, when someone has a bad story on us, it's very hard to be immune to that. And so we kind of start to see ourselves through that lens. I must be a bad person or I must, you know, I'm not wanted because my love didn't want me. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to be in relationship. So the, 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 the needless suffering part, we're talking about the, you know, the, the suffering we can't avoid, but then the suffering we can avoid and must avoid is, is this kind of house of lies that we enter into during a breakup. The lies that we're telling about ourselves, about our own lives, and the lives of the residue that we're feeling left over in the relational field, the trauma of the impact of not being chosen and what we're making that mean. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's a, it's a terrible shock to go from being the one who was special and treasured to suddenly now being the one who's not wanted uh, and devalued. You know, it's a terrible shock to the system. Yeah, and we can really is. take it in like a, an identity. I don't, are you identifying with any of this when you went through your breakup? Do you, do you have any examples of that? Yeah, no. I mean, I just, I, I was the one that left. So, you know, it was, I wasn't feeling the victim role, but I've been in the victim role before. So I know, you know, we have two choices at every crossroad. We can choose to create that story in which we are victimized or, you know, we place blame on other people, or we can choose to evolve, develop, and grow. And, you know, that crossroad is so powerful. And, you know, I know for me, the time I chose to truly transform my life was my spiritual awakening. And it, it was a time where I was pretty much brought down to my knees. And it took that for me to consciously want to change. So I'm curious for you how that was the catalyst for you to move forward and and for our listeners out there, you know, who want to do this more proactively, you know, how they may embrace the transformational process because it's, it's truly making that conscious choice to embark on this journey. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of us are sophisticated enough to know that we have certain things that we could do better. We should do better. We should be, more self-honoring or we should have better boundaries or we shouldn't be so codependent and put other people's feelings and needs before our own and martyr ourselves to the perceived needs of others but but I think when you've been brought down to your knees you know you as you say when you've been mm-hmm. leveled by uh, a very painful ending and um and you suddenly get the cost of those behaviors. We take it out of theory. And, and what happens is it starts to be like, oh, my God, my life actually depends on this because I don't think I could go through this again. Mm-hmm. I mean, my breakup with my husband was actually quite 
kind and mm-hmm. cohesive, which is what conscious uncoupling is modeled after in many ways. It was actually a very beautiful, kind, soft-hearted, generous ending where both of us really went out of our way to create cohesion and goodwill. We were motivated to do that because we share a daughter, and we were joined in our commitment to making sure she had a, ch- a happy childhood, whether or not her parents were going to be married to each other or not. And so we kind of put on our creative hats and figured out how to be a family, how to transition to what I call an expanded family in the aftermath of divorce. But I have also been through um, some very horrible breakups in my life, which motivated me to write Conscious Uncoupling because I could see the difference between both kinds of breakups and I could see, um, you know, really what was at stake. because a breakup badly navigated can handicap us for decades moving yes, forward. Yes, a great point. Literally You're right. Decades. So I think, you know, the catalyst in my own life in past, because you asked what was the catalyst in my own yeah. life in past breakups, was the kind of heart pain like, oh my gosh, I don't think I ever want to go through this again. And I remember one breakup which felt so traumatic. I felt like, oh my gosh, I've really you know, lost the one person who I think is the best fit for me out of any, anyone on this planet. And so my only option was to commit to my own growth and development so that I would outgrow the woman that I was in that relationship. Okay. Right? Yeah. In order to be a new version of myself that would not be interested in that relationship any longer. So that was a kind of a high bar to set, and uh, I write about in that in the book. Uh, there's another client who also took that and kind of chronicle her journey about that. But mm-hmm. that's a great goal to have, you know. It surely and, and is. That things, is. A, I love that. Yeah, and so and so we're we're you know, but we're talking about identity. I feel like I'm a little bit all over the map. I'm I'm skating all around the pond today with you. No, no, <laughs> but, it's all great content. Okay, so. good. It's okay, wonderful. but I what I want to say to people is that's story that you made up when you were two mm-hmm. or six or 12 that is now, you know, getting reactivated in your, in your breakup, this is the good news. The story's not true. The story's yeah. not true. And one of the things we can do, because we're all grown, everyone listening is a, here right now is a grown-up and has the capacity for... Um, you know, objective thinking and, you know, rational thought and, um, you know, we're developed people, we're resourceful people, we're resilient people, we're strong people, we're adults, and we can breathe into that center and go back and talk to that little six-year-old and say, sweetheart, it was never that, you know, you weren't good enough. In fact, you are a treasure unto all of life, and life itself is just lit up by your very existence. You need do nothing to prove your value to anyone. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so powerful. Correct the consciousness, you know, and I'm so sorry that you had this disappointment in love, but it doesn't mean anything about your fundamental value as a person, Mm -hmm. even as you're being devalued by the person you've loved. That's a painful experience that that person is devaluing you you now in order to distance from you and to avoid taking your own inventory, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to project it onto you. That says nothing about your fundamental value, Angel. 
you are a treasure unto all of life. And so we have to learn how we can, you know, hold the truth about who we are mm-hmm. in the face of whatever story someone else is running and even whatever story is coming up in our own consciousness. And that's one of the things that's going to help us to wake up out of that old trance. And it's one of the blessings of a breakup, actually, is the ability to wake up out of that original source fracture wound, sometimes for the very first time. Yeah, and we talk so much about vulnerability and, you know, how our gifts sometimes come wrapped in unusual packages and and all of these things. And, you know, I was sharing with my listeners on another episode what you just said so eloquently about bringing that inner child out. And I often say, you know, sit that child on your lap and talk to it as you would to a loved one because it's so much harder to talk to ourselves that way for some reason than it is to talk to others. But I just love the way that you shared that because... You know, we hear all the time that we're born perfect, you know, and we know unconditional love and and we evolve over time, sadly, seeking that unconditional love that we had in the womb. And, you know, we do all of these things out of the ego. But what we're actually doing at these pivotal moments of our life like this is turning inward again and leaning into the emotions that we often don't want to face. And that begins the process. And it's so powerful to allow yourself to flow what's naturally supposed to be flowing. And you talk about that so well through the steps in the book. And and I'd love to start getting into some of those steps because I want to make the time to at least highlight what those are for for our listeners. Great. I'd be happy to do that. Um, I mean, we have to start where we are. And usually where people are at at the end of love, um, particularly if you're a person who has been left by another person, is distraught, um, terrified, uh, overwhelmed with big emotions that are kind of scary to feel because um, they might be uncharacteristically uh, angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right, as I know, it's very common to feel enraged at the end of love. I think, you know, my theory is that one of the things that um, recent neurobiology is discovering is how much we're hardwired to connect with each other. And that human beings are really made for attachment. And that even the brain is now considered to be a social organ meaning that our brains will sync up and begin to regulate um, our biology according to the biology of others. Our heartbeats will sync up, our body temperatures, our breathing rates, our blood pressure, all of that will sync up. And also, um, you know, our emotions will get regulated by Mm -hmm. the people that we're close to. And that in, in the world of brain science, relations serve the function of what they call fear regulation, kind of keeping at bay the existential anxiety of being alive. And so when we break a bond, like nature will do everything in its power to not break that bond. So things will happen like um, the when we get rejected, what happens chemically in the brain is that a certain, uh, that, that, it, that the part of the brain that gets stimulated when we first fall in love mm-hmm. gets reactivated meaning that we will begin to long for someone even more, 
just like when we were first falling in love. So rather than do like the sensible thing and diminish right. our desire for a person, the brain will actually elevate our desire for a person. Yeah. Right? So nature has hardwired us to stay together. So when we decide to part ways or when someone else makes that decision and it's out of our hands and they're gone, it's easy to go from soulmate to soul hate, form, go from a positive bond to a negative bond. Because in the world of nature, any bond is better than no bond at all. Mm-hmm. I love that awareness that you bring to us by that because we all feel that, you know, right. and it's the moments where we really don't have a choice that right. we can grow because, like you said, that pull is not there to bring us back together. So I'd love to continue. We have to take our last break right now, but when we come back, I'd like to continue from that segue. So hold on and we'll be back in a few moments. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Intentional Living with host Kristen Swarczyk. To reach the show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to kristen.swarczyk at gmail.com. Now, back to Intentional Living. Welcome back, everyone. We've been having such a rich discussion today with Catherine Woodward Thomas. And and she's just about to get into the steps involved for conscious uncoupling. We've been... We've been talking about how difficult the process is and, and the awareness that it creates when, when we lean into the diff- difficult emotions. So, Catherine, I'd like to allow you to continue um, the discussion we're having. Sure. So, so, of course, you know, step one of the conscious uncoupling process then has to address these very big emotions. So step one is find emotional freedom. And basically, what we're doing is um, we're helping people to get a handle on those hot emotions so that, you know, so, so it, rather than your feelings having you, you have them. You, you still have the 
feelings of, you know, anger or despair or, you know, <laughs> confusion or fear, or, you know, whatever you're going through, but they're not overwhelming. And and it will begin to lessen the trauma because trauma, the breakup trauma, which is a very underrated trauma, I think, um, it's called the rupture of attachment. Psychologists call it the rupture of attachment. And, it, and it's very severe. And a lot of it has to do with how overwhelmed we become at the end of love with, with our own emotions, actually, and how unsafe we feel in the world and without the person who has been our main fear regulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are deregulated, so our own emotions are all over the map, and we not only feel unsafe in the world, but we might even feel unsafe with ourselves because of these big feelings and the desire for revenge, and I want to go key his car, I want to throw bleach on all her clothes, or whatever you know, crazy mm-hmm. things are going on in our mind. So one of the things I teach in step one is how to begin to harness those destructive impulses and harness their the energy that we would need um, and to, to make positive change in our lives. Actually use the energy as fuel to make positive change. So rather than, you know, have, you know, you know, have your focus be on all of the ways that you want to harm the other person with your mm-hmm. anger, um, what you do is you go and you look like what the impulse is underneath the anger, which is going to be a positive thing, actually. Yes. It's going to be the reclamation yes. of your right to be treated well. Mm-hmm. Your value. Your right to be told the truth to. Um, right. It's, or your right to take up space. Or your right to be with someone who actually cares about your feelings and needs. Right. So there's this kind of part of rage or upset or all of these things, you know, even despair, that's actually true and wholesome. And so what we want to do is we want to, we want to sponsor that. And I invite people to actually take on an intention, set an intention. Like my intention is to use this breakup as the bottom I've needed to radically change my life such that I create a life where my relationships mirror back to me the truth of my value. That would be an intention that is powerful to set. That is very powerful intention. What a way to get right? live your life. Yeah, just to have that mirrored back because it's so true who you surround yourself with and the way they they act. It's like we teach people how to treat us. I, I always find that so true. So I love that intention because, you know, if we model these values and behaviors, they'll be reflected back. It's the law of attraction, and it truly does work. Well, and so, so you take, you harness all of that energy, and you point it in the direction of change and where you would need to go in your own development to begin. And that would be one of the first places I'd start is I'm going to start treating myself as though I value my time, as though I value my you know, investment, my energetic investment, as though I value my thoughts and I value my feelings. I'm going to start to actually listen to myself and learn about what I need and then learn how to speak those needs to other people. So there's a, there's a process of development that needs to mm-hmm. happen to make sure that you don't ever duplicate these same mistakes again and don't ever have to go through this again. So that leads to step two now, which is to reclaim your power and your life. 
And because the other thing that happens is that when, you know, we most often feel very powerless. And particularly, yeah. again, this is the experience of being left. A person who's being left feels utterly powerless to change this situation. So the, the reclamation of power is always going to be connected with the ability to take stock of our part in the breakup. Now, that's easier said than done because our minds are primed to obsess about the other person. Remember, the mind will go towards the creation of a negative bond. So what we will do is we'll obsess about all the things that that other person did that was horrible. Mm-hmm. Or, or we'll obsess about all the things that we did that was terrible. Yeah. But we'll do it in a way that's very shaming of ourselves. So shaming. You're shaming. so right. Right? So one of the things I teach in the second step is how to self-reflect in a way that actually leads to growth and development as opposed to the way that we normally do try and do it, which will lead to shame. Like, you know, what the F is wrong with me will never mm-hmm. lead to anything different. It will never lead to growth, right? But right. why do we want to do this? Well, we have to do this if we can ever trust ourselves to love anyone in the future because we have to know we will not make these same mistakes again, ever. Yeah. So, um, so then we are interested in, in our part of things, even if it was only like 3%. Mm-hmm. 97% was the other person's fault, okay, because everybody knows, you know, that, you know, people do do bad things. So let's just, you know, let's just imagine that it really is 97% their fault. Mm-hmm. But you really want to be interested in your 3%, and that's the biggest bang for your buck, really, because that 3%, where even if it was passive, like I didn't speak up, or I dismissed my own deeper knowing, or I didn't have the courage to ask the right questions because I didn't want to make him or her angry with me. Whatever that 3% was, you want to know that like the back of your hand because that's your leverage point for change. And you want to be able to identify the amends that you need to make to yourself in Mm -hmm. order to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Right? That's That's great. I love that. So then we move into step three, which is breaking the pattern and healing your heart. And, and, and this has to do with identifying that source fracture wound and being empowered to evolve beyond it. Because we all know that, you know, it just seems like we tend to repeat the same story, different, you know, variations on a theme mm-hmm. over and over again. And Freud talked about it. He named it the repetition compulsion. Yeah. And most of us understand that if we're repeating old patterns or we're repeating old childhood wounds, we might say, like, I keep marrying my father, right? So we keep mm-hmm. repeating things over and over again that we're somehow trying to heal. Yes. And there's another piece to that. It's, it's that we're trying to heal and it's that we actually lack the development to do things any differently. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I've seen that happen in my own life so many times. You know, you keep getting the lessons until you draw that line in the sand and and you're motivated to grow. 
So I think this is really obvious here with what you're saying, and I love, you know, the thinking behind all of this. Well, it's, I like to tell a story about this, you know, because it's like if you, if you were um, neglected as a child, and so you formed, like you're, you were a latchkey kid, Mm-hmm. Your mother's and father, but maybe your mother, you were raised by a single mother, and your mother didn't get home from work till six o'clock every night, so you just were kind of on your own. Mm-hmm. And so a story forms, you know, I'm alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, people leave, and, um, and so I, I can't ever get what my, I want and need from anybody. So there's this story, and then of course, you know, you duplicate that because you're, partner then cheats on you and leaves you for another person and there you are back in the I'm alone story and everyone yeah. always leaves me and what but but when you were left alone when you were you know little and you were left alone you lacked certain skills and the ability to develop certain skills that would have allowed you to learn how to navigate relationship better. So if you're left alone all the time, for instance, you don't know how to negotiate your needs because nobody's there to negotiate your needs with, or you maybe don't know how to um, process conflict. Maybe the first sign of conflict occurs to you like the the beginning of the end. And Mm -hmm. so you avoid conflict, which means you don't tell the truth and you never learn. So then, then when you get into a relationship as an adult, like you don't know how to navigate conflict to in a productive way that's going to end up deepening the love between you. You don't know how to negotiate for your needs. You can't tell the truth in the relationship. So you never really make it safer or a way for someone to really find their way into your world. So you're essentially in the relationship, but you're kind of alone. Or, you know, you're signaling the other person to leave with the first sign of a conflict because you're 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 sure they're going to leave and you do it as a preemptive strike but then they end up leaving but you aren't even aware of how that just played out through you so yes, there's this whole yes. piece to conscious uncoupling right that we call seeing yourself as the source of your experience and that's like the breakthrough yeah, because it is a breakthrough right there. What it you is. said was so rich for our listeners, so rich. Because we so well, often, I mean, I've been there. You know, you're in that relationship. I actually did a show on that. And a, a person just up and leaves, like disappears. And you're like, wow, that was going great. What happened, you know? And it's when we stop seeing ourselves to blame. And just that open awareness gives us the power to... To move forward without the shame, it's it's truly the turning point. Well, and I think we're afraid to go there because the first thing that people usually say to me is, well, yeah, I lack the skills, you know, on how to navigate conflict, but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. As if that's like the end of the world, but I don't know how. Yes. And I say, well, thank God other people do know how, and thank mm-hmm. God we live in a culture where for $10 you can buy a book and read about how, and yes. thank God there's all these teachers around who have free classes that you can go to or courses you can pay for, and mm-hmm. they can teach you how, and thank God there's therapists on every corner of most major cities where their shingle is out and they can show you how. So we have to remember that we are creatures who are ever learning and ever developing and the moment that we say i 
see that I need to learn this missing skill and capacity that will allow me to create a different story than the yes, horror right. of my upbringing. You know, then we then we can evolve and graduate from beyond yeah. that pattern. We we write the next chapter, and you know, I love that because yeah, we you know, we, we've all had hardships in our lives and some people truly have had awful situations. And, you know, I, I hope to empower our listeners with that. Like at any point in your life, you can decide that you don't want to go on living this way anymore. And you can make that conscious choice to change. And, you know, I encourage you, we only have about two minutes and I want Catherine to allow our listeners to know anything that you're offering right now, whether it's the classes your books, which we've, we've noted some of them, and they truly are powerful. If you were going through a divorce or contemplating a divorce, please pick up this book on Conscious Uncoupling. It truly saved me. It helped me to create a positive, nurturing relationship post-divorce. And um, so I want to give the last minute to you, Catherine, to just oh, share whatever's thank going you. on. Um, ConsciousUncoupling.com. Um, we have, uh, we're really developing a healing community for people. Um, we have a lot of free resources that we're giving away. We're really excited about serving the community and helping people to navigate a breakup in a way that's going to leave them happy, healthy, uh, and whole with a fully healed heart. And, um, and also I'm doing free community classes. So you can go and, um, I have a ton of stuff on the website, and kind of whatever you decide to download, I have a 10-minute uh, practice that's free on the home page and also uh, um, the ability to sign up for the healing community. But you'll be invited to attend a free monthly salon. And then for those people who are not going through a breakup, um, if you go to KatherineWoodwardThomas.com and sign up, we're also going to be doing just a free community call there where people write in questions and I uh, provide some coaching about how to create really great, happy, healthy love and how to strengthen our bonds with each other and how to grow um, our capacity for healthy, committed partnership. Wonderful. What golden nuggets for, for them to take part in. So, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. It truly has been a wonderful call and, and such great content for everyone out there. So thank you again. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining Kristen Swarchek and Intentional Living. Please be sure to tune in again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until next week's show, continue to live on purpose. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericaempowerment.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 